Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We're continuing this week our study of the book of Psalms. We've arrived at Lesson 7, Your Mercy Reaches Unto the Heavens. It's kind of a grand opening there. Indeed. And we're talking about God's mercy. Um, <laughs> I really don't know what other... How you figure that out? <laughs> well, I was going to say, you put the talking points together, so you figured this one out. But just yes. right in the title alone, it seems to be right on the... Hitting the yes. nail on the head. Um, but you did put this uh, uh, lesson's notes together, and yeah. so uh, you were able to draw some talking points out mm. of this week's I study. Was. Amen. And so, uh, how about, I'll have a word of prayer, then you can walk us through our lesson All this right, week. All right, let's do that. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your mercy. Thank you that it does endure forever, that it is great, and that we can study it and not just learn about it, Lord. We can be recipients of it and experience it in our own lives. Please bless us now as we prepare. Uh, for a study in Sabbath school class this week, bless our conversation and all of the leaders and the participants as they follow as well. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, as you mentioned, this week's lesson focuses on God's everlasting mercy. Okay. And our memory verse uh, says, I'll praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations, for your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds, which, of mm. course, our title is taken from that. Um, so I've got three talking points that, as we look into the mercy of God in this week's lesson, number one, and what the lesson does, actually, I found out a little bit after the fact, is it takes a number of different psalms, and the different psalms employ different words for mercy, while at the same time, there's one that's kind of consistent through, and that's the one the lesson tends to focus on. We'll see that in a minute. So there are different Hebrew words for mercy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the one that we are that the lesson focuses on, and it actually brings this out, I believe, on Sunday afternoon, is the word chesed, which is, uh, uh, the lesson translates as steadfast love. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Okay. So number one talking point this week is God's mercy endures forever. It's taken right from Psalm 136, where we're focusing on Sunday's lesson. Uh, I've actually drawn that from Sunday and a little bit of Wednesday. And then, uh, talking point number two, God delights in mercy. Mm -hmm. And I've drawn that from, and I put it in this order in our handout, Tuesday and Monday's lesson. I actually start with Tuesday and backtrack into Monday. The okay. 12th thought went better for me that way. And um, the expression, God delights in mercy, is actually taken from Micah 7.18. It's not in the lesson, but it's the thought. Yeah. Um, and then number three, talking point number three, is God's mercy is measureless, which is different from God's mercy endures forever. One is long, the other is like wide it. or right. deep or something. Okay. <laughs> God's mercy is measureless, uh, primarily Thursday's lesson. A little, bit of, uh, a little bit of Mondays, I think, as well. So those are our three talking points. Okay, week. well, let's go back to number one then. God's mercy endures forever. Okay, let's go to Psalm 136. Okay. And if you look at Psalm 136, of course, it starts out, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Mm -hmm. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. And uh, you had comment, this goes this way all the way through the psalm. Yeah. So you have little portions of... Now, you start out with just give thanks to the Lord, but then there are certain things that are spelled out. In verses 4, 5, and 6, it talks about to him alone who does great wonders, mm -hmm. for his mercy endures forever. To him who by wisdom made the heavens. Mm -hmm. To him who laid the foundations, or, or laid out the earth above the waters. So these little phrases, mm -hmm. followed by his mercy endures forever, his mercy endures forever, his mercy endures forever. Mm -hmm. 
And then it goes on in verse 10 to talk about to him who struck Egypt and their firstborn. And verse 11, and brought them out of Israel from among them. Uh, brought out Israel, rather, from among them. Uh, and then verse 12, with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. So these portions of, yeah. and then his mercy endures forever. His mercy it's tracing forever. the history of God's great deeds for his people from creation through all that. But it's in that poetic kind of framing of for his mercy yes. endures forever. Very, yeah. very uh, 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 almost rhythmic cadence in yeah. this psalm. But of course, his mercy endures forever. This is our first talking point. And the lesson highlights the word mercy here is that word kezet in the Hebrew. But it's, um, it's interesting. The lesson gives the, in, in parentheses, says that that word means steadfast love. That is how the English Standard Version translates it. Mercy is the New King James. The NIV translates the word love. The mm. New American translates it faithfulness. And so I found this interesting um, statement in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary. This is actually their notes on the word, uh, on Psalm 30, the additional notes on Psalm 36, but it's dealing with this word chesed. And it says, um, chesed is a, is a it's, it's, it's chesed or chesed. It has to or, come from the back of the throat, yes. So I'm just going to be consistent called Kezet okay. for us, from, from an English, uh, Anglicized... Anyway, okay. Kezet is a Hebrew word most difficult to translate adequately into English, also to pronounce. Uh, <laughs> mercy, pity, and kindness correctly describe different aspects of meaning, but none covers the full breadth of meaning, at least when Kezet describes an attribute of God. It appears that to a large degree what the New Testament writers describe as agape or love, which would be, you know, different mm -hmm. from eros or phileo, which are the, mm -hmm. the different types of love. It's the yeah. unconditional love of God. They say um, what they called agape, the Old Testament writers called keset. So that's where the... So essentially there's almost an equivalence between that agape, uh, deep, uh, you know, noble love yes. and this mercy that is repeatedly invoked in the Psalms here, that they're, 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 there's not like, he's loving and he's merciful. They're kind of the same thing. Right. It's a very, and, and the point here is it's a very broad word, and thus it kind of explains the Psalm. It's giving all these, first it talks about God's creative power. Then it talks about his deliverance and his punishment and his justice and punishment of their enemies. And yet mm. all of these things are couched in God's mercy. Those are expressions as if to give, of his mercy, yeah. You know, when it talks... Uh, the phrase that comes to my mind is in the book of Ephesians chapter 3 where it talks about how the church will, be made, will make known to the universe the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold, manyfold, many-sided. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In other words, there's, when you're looking at God, there's not just a simple word to say. Yeah. Even when well, John says God is love, but that word in the Greek <laughs> is such a broad yeah. word. And so that's what we're looking at when we're looking at mercy. And thus, when you have this layered you know, God did this for his mercy endures forever, and God did this and his mercy endures forever, and he's the God who's this and his mercy endures forever, mm -hmm. is trying to round out this picture of this abundance of mercy with God mm -hmm. and what that mercy includes. In fact, there's a good statement on Sunday's lesson, paragraph 5, if you want to want to read that. Sure. It says, God's mercy in creation and history should inspire his people to trust in him and to remain faithful to his covenant. The refrain, for his mercy endures forever, is repeated 26 times in Psalm 136, thus reassuring worshipers that the Lord does not change and will repeat his past favors to each new generation. 
So the idea there being that God's, you know, the, the reason this is important that we understand it and it's on record is that this is the same God we serve. And we can yes. look to him and trust in his mercy as those faithful people of old trust in him. You know, it's interesting. I just, this dawns on me right now. He's going up all the way back from creation. And right. then he goes through, you know, the, 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 the saving of the Egypt, uh, Israelites from Egypt, right. you know. But it, it's always in the present, for his mercy endures forever. It is an eternal quality, and so it's not like he was merciful to them. Right. He is merciful, and it's one application in creation, one application in, in, in Israelites' history. And that would, inc- that would the, the, tr- the inertia of that brings it to us, that the same God who did that, he, his mercy endures forever to my time, to now. Absolutely. And we're going to see that more as we look in the lesson. Now, Another element that is brought out here in Psalm 136, and I think it comes in Sunday's lesson, I felt when I got to Wednesday's lesson, it's like, well, this is kind of, to me, it was repeating a similar thought. Wednesday's lesson actually contrasts, um, if, if you want to say contrast, God's, maje- God's majesty and his mercy. Mm. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say contrast, but, but it's, it's praise to the majestic. Them, yeah. Yes, juxtaposes is maybe a better expression. It, uh, but there's God's majesty and his mercy. Well, the, that idea struck me as I was going through Psalm 136. He starts out talking about just this, you know, the powerful, the goodness of God, then the powerful creator God, then the powerful deliverer God. Yes. And what struck me is when we think of somebody who's got a lot of power, at least in this world, mercy is not the first image that comes <laughs> to mind. That's true. Yeah. Now, mercy is not, mercy is almost seen as a weakness mm. in a way. And so what, what, I put in our handout is the fact that God has no need to be merciful. Yes. Like, look, he, he could created do otherwise. It, yeah. Right. And we don't deserve anything. And he could just, whatever he wants to do, the fact that God has no need to be merciful exemplifies his willingness to be merciful. Mm. Yeah. So when well, we see they, this abundant mercy, yeah. Well, I was just thinking about the illustration of the creation there that it starts with. He didn't have to create. We weren't even on the seat. Like, he, he was complete in himself, but he chose to step into this. Mm-hmm. Like, it's an act of mercy even to bring us into existence, much less deal with us when we're naughty. You yeah. know what I'm so Absolutely. His, his, our existence itself is an expression of his mercy. Well, and then we see further expressions of that. Uh, the lesson takes us to Psalm 113, and I'm going to have you read verses 5 through 9. Yes. Uh, where it's fo- this is focusing, this portion is focusing specifically on God lifting up those who are downtrodden. Yes, it says, Who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth? He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap, that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. So notice how he starts this here. The Lord is high. Verse 4, he's high above all nations. Mm-hmm. Uh, verse 5, who is the Lord like, like the Lord our God? who dwells on high, mm-hmm. but then he humbles himself. And, and when he humbles himself, he's, he's doing it to raise the poor out of the dust, to lift the needy. So mm-hmm. you see this, this mercy expressed in God really transforming the lives of mm. the needy. Yes. And uh, which is, you know, all humanity in essence. <laughs> yeah. But we, especially you, you have the poor and needy that are highlighted here. The lesson brings this out as well. In fact, uh, Wednesday lesson, paragraph three, if you want to read that for sure. us. Sure. God's greatness and care, which cannot be fully discerned in God's amazing transcendence, becomes explicit in God's deeds of mercy and compassion. 
The needy, the poor, and the oppressed might experience firsthand God's sovereign power in the remarkable reversals that he can perform in their favor. So a reversal is, you know, we sometimes say reversal of fortunes or whatever. Right. It's, it's, it's turning their circumstances around. Right. So he speaks to them in their, in their position of need. It goes on to say, the yeah. exalted God manifests his greatness by using his power to exalt the downcast. Love so, that. so this is this is uh, uh, an, uh, one of the aspects of his acts, great acts of mercy, and it's interesting how it starts that out is greatness and care, which cannot be fully discerned in his amazing transcendence, becomes explicit in these. When we see yeah. him lifting up the downtrodden, it really magnifies again this right. great God who's above all things, yet condescends to help. And it's some, somehow his mercy even magnifies, amplifies his majesty, if it yes. were possible. Because, you know, it's he could do otherwise. But in addition to this, he also... So, w- to your point earlier, sometimes we would think of mercy as maybe a negating of power, maybe like a reduction right. or like a limiting, where in God, it's an expression of his majesty. It's how he exercises that. It's a manifestation of his majesty. Well, and, and then... You know, you you carry that on to Christianity. I mean, that's the uniqueness of Christianity. People, it's backward thinking. Mm. You know, if you want to be great in this world, don't be merciful. Yeah. Right? You climb on whoever you need to to exalt yourself. And so the person who actually lays down his or her life for the sake of somebody else and even defers to somebody and lets somebody else have the better way, Mm. that is the path that manifests and magnifies the character of God in Christianity. Beautiful. So now, in light of his great mercy, God's servants are directed to look to his hand. We see this in Psalm 123. Uh, this is an interesting expression. Verses 1 and 2, if you read that for us. 23, 1 and Psalm 2. Psalm 123. Yes, 123, I should say. Verses 1, one and two. 2. Unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. Now, this... Yeah, this is just a fascinating passage. So that basically, uh, he's describing the eyes of the servants, notice, look to the hand of their masters, and the eyes of the maid of the so our eyes look to the Lord until he has mercy. So the picture, until he has mercy, is the eyes are looking expectantly to the one, and, and it would seem in the context to me, the only one who can help the situation. That's why my eyes are fixed on him, not somebody else, right? Yeah. The servant to the master He's making this equation, and there's, you know, you can study that, and there's some interesting uh, uh, things and commentaries on that The nuance of what that means, right? yeah. But the overall takeaway seems to be, you know, so our eyes look to God until he has mercy. Mm. And there's a couple things there that we had talked about. First of all, as much as he's a merciful God, the mercy doesn't come instantaneously. Mm. <laughs> So we're waiting, but we're, waiting we're expectant Lord. because we know it will come because we know he's a merciful God. So just as a servant looks to the master and knows that the master is the only one who has capacity to fulfill the need, we know that God is the only one who has capacity to fill the need, but that he will fill the need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I found a great uh, statement in the commentary, Jameson Fawcett Brown's commentary on Psalm 123, verse 2. If you want to read that? Sure, it says, The servants of God should look, number one, to his directing hand, Two, to his supplying hand. Three, to his protecting hand. Four, to his correcting hand. And five, to his rewarding hand. Yeah. <laughs> well, guess you, would, you could read into that. Because mercy is manifested in all those things. Yeah, what are you looking for that hand to do? Is it looking mm-hmm. to help me or to correct me, to guide me, to reward me? And the answer is yes. 
<laughs> if if the master in this analogy is the life source for the for the uh, subordinate, right? Then, just as we look to God, do we look to Him for correction? Yes. For righteousness? Yes. For redemption? Yes. So there's there's a there's a there's a fullness that we can find only in God, and He offers it by extending His hand, right? That's and right. even if we don't see it yet. We can trust that it's coming because we we know the character of his mercy. That's right. That mercy endures forever, which leads us into our second talking point, which is God delights in mercy. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons we know that it endures forever. We know we can look to him. We know that he he will be merciful because he delights in it. It's not like, oh boy, i got to be merciful again. Isn't that great that not only does he have mercy, he enjoys exercising. He delights in it. Yeah. So Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4, if you could read that. This yes. is drawn out in Tuesday's lesson, I believe. Monday or Tuesday. It says, I, I, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. So it, it, initially reading this, and, and you, you know, I, I didn't pick it up in the lesson, but I could see where people, um, in fact, I think the lesson tried to do some damage control on it, because a person initially reads this, if you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, and the idea is if you should mark, if you, you should watch them, if you, keep, if you should keep a record of them. Oh, well, if means he doesn't. He, he could, but he doesn't. And so and God that's what we're praising God for. And, is, yeah, he doesn't keep record. And, uh, and so then we're all wrong when we talk about God keeping record of sins, and, mm-hmm. and we can talk about the judgment, the investigative judgment, mm-hmm. and all that. But that's, but that's not his point here. And you mm-hmm. see it very clearly in verse 4. He says, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand but... There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. The implication is more along the lines of, if all you did was write down, we would all fall short, but you have forgiveness in your judgment. And so that's where we can find our confidence. Right. So I have in our notes here, the point seems to be that if God only took notice of our sins without Mm. mercy, there would be no hope. And I think it's also interesting. It directly implies that there's no other source of hope because he doesn't say, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, I'm going to go to somebody else. (laughs) Like, there is nowhere else to... Like, yeah. this is the only... Praise God he's merciful. Praise God mm. that he doesn't just mark iniquities and not have any mercy. But in, yes. in as much as he knows and even brings to mind our sins, for the, it's for the purpose of mercifully saving, there's yes. forgiveness with him. Well, and, and to your point, you could misread that and say, if you did this, but praise the Lord, you don't. That would undermine, well, what does the, what is the truth about the judgment and the investigation and the end time events? But if we correctly read this... Understanding that God does mark, but with forgiveness, that does inform a correct view of the judgment. That God is searching the hearts of all people. He does have a book of all of all things, but it's not separate from His mercy. It's the one God who is mercy who's doing that. No, work. it's it's a it's a counterpart of His mercy because you think about that. Like if if it's like oh, it's no big deal. Like mm. God, I'm not going to worry about it. You did then what is right and what is wrong? And then it becomes arbitrary because, oh, well, he's not making a big deal out of it. It must not be a big deal to do. Then it must not be that wrong. Yeah. You know, like the, then the whole thing oh, unravels. Yeah. No, sin, the reason sin is wrong is that it will destroy mm. everything good in the universe. But God mercifully has a way of bringing forgiveness to that. And mm. this, is, this is actually brawn, drawn out then in Monday's lesson where... It takes us to Psalm 51, and, and this was interesting in Psalm 51, of course, you know, David's psalm of repentance. The lesson draws out from Psalm 51 that in the forgiveness of God, he doesn't just overlook sin, but he actually brings t- restoration and transformation. Mm. And, you know, you see, like, for example, um, 
when David says in verse 6, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. There, there, there needs to be something that happens within mm-hmm. that God has to do. Then he says, Purge me with hyssop. In verse 8, Make me hear joy. In verse 10, Create in me a clean heart. In verse 12, in fact, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit. Verse 12, restore to me. Like, these are all words that have to do with making me new. Mm-hmm. And so the lesson kind of comments on that, doesn't kind of, it comments on that on Monday, paragraph 2, if you'd read where it says there, divine forgiveness. Yeah. Divine forgiveness involves more than a legal proclamation of innocence. It produces a profound change that reaches the most inner parts of human self. It brings about a new creation. Yeah. Or in the New Testament referred to being born again, right? Right. So that's that that idea of uh, when God delights in mercy, not only does he does he not just focus on the iniquities, he provides forgiveness, but in that forgiveness he uplifts humanity, which kind of mm. ties back so to our, our last God's point. mercy is bigger than we might first think, and his his forgiveness is more than we might first think. Like, mm-hmm. it seems to me every time we talk about God, it's like, well, it's not just this. It's broader, and it's deeper, and That's it's wider, right. and it's higher. And so after you study it out, you end up right back where David starts out. Like, who can even speak of it? It's higher than the heavens. <laughs> it's absolutely yeah. true. So another another little piece that caught my attention back there in Psalm 130 is, you know, Psalm 130, if you should mark iniquities, etc. After he makes the point that there is forgiveness of you, uh, with you, rather, in verse 4. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Um, the lesson brings out a great point on this, which I didn't get into, which I, I think would be helpful in your class, or just for sake of time we didn't hear. But the idea that you may be feared, like this is the motivation for the reverential fear or worship we give to God, is understanding his character of mercy. Mm-hmm. And we'll see a little piece of that as we go on here in our lesson. You know, that, that language makes me think of Revelation fourteen six that the hour of his yes. judgment is coming. So what should we do? We should fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment. And you would think like, well, that's the, I guess, judgment and fear because I'm afraid of the judgment. Well, right. it, it, what this is bringing out, though, is the fear of the Lord is that beginning of wisdom. We understand his nature. We see his mercy. We, we are drawn to him even more so. And let's not forget his work of judgment is conducted from what he calls the mercy seat. That's right. So those two, those concepts are inseparably bound. Absolutely. And so as he goes on in that psalm, he says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits in his word. I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. And literally, it can just says those who watch for the morning, not yea, more than. It's almost mm. like a, just a deep kind of the thoughts are fixed on that. My, as those who watch for the morning, and we were talking about this like a night watchman in Bible times, you don't have a wristwatch, yeah. you don't have a clock. There's a reason he's you called don't a have watchman. A sundial because <laughs> he has to watch, right? And so you know the the danger comes at night and under under the cloak of darkness. And mm. so you know you think of that watchman just waiting for the morning. The lesson also, I, I don't know if it was a lesson or one of the commentaries I was looking at that brought out also the person staying by someone's sick bed. There's just some. Something that comes with the morning light. Mm. And, and the psalmist likens this to that, you know, when I recognize my sin and I realize that, that God doesn't just mark iniquities, but there's forgiveness with him, there's, there's that restoration with him, then I can look to him as those who watch for the morning. Like it's describing the longing, but the, the longing with anticipation that I look to there. God because yeah. I know that, that I want my... my my watching won't be disappointed. In fact, mm. the lesson brings it out on Tuesday, paragraph three. It says, faithful waiting on the Lord is not in vain, 
because after the dark night, the morning of divine deliverance comes. Amen. Well, we need to rush on here to talking point number three, and that is God's mercy is measureless. Again, not to be confused with God's mercy endures forever. <laughs> this is drawn actually from Psalm 103, verses 10 to 13. And they look at the whole 103rd Psalm. We're going to look at some other verses here in a minute, but... You want me to read that? Yes, 10 to 13. 10 to 13. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. So how far is the east from the west? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it reminds All the me way. Of, it, it reminds me, I think it was... was you know, A.T. Jones, uh, may have, I think he was the one that gave this illustration. Like, if a man sets out on walking and he goes, he's walking west, how far does he have to go before he's walking east, you know? Yeah. You know, how far is east from the west? But the, the, the Bible's using in terms here to describe now the fact that you can't reach the end of it. Mm. And so... The mercy enduring forever, like God will always be merciful. It's but this is talking about like one of the best theological arguments against flat Earth I've ever heard. It's like no, it's not. It's right over there. No, no, no. It just keeps going. It's yes. going. It's limitless. But the uh, okay, well, sorry, flat Earth folks. I can't do. Sometimes I can't do anything with him. But, what are you gonna uh, do? But the idea is the measureless mercy of God mm-hmm. is t- just talking about the abundance of the limitlessness yeah. of it, um, whereas. God's mercy endures forever is talking more about God being a merciful God forever. Mm. But it's talking about the measure of that mercy that is with God forever. Yes. And there is no measure to it. So there's some other passages I've included here, you know, Psalm 40, verse 5, Psalm 116, verse 12 and 13. Why don't we look at that one? So what was it? 116, 12 and 13. 116, we're almost there. 12 and 13. Mm-hmm. Scripture says... What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. So this this particular psalm is just, God has given so many blessings, so many benefits. What what can I give the Lord? So just talking about the abundance of his mercies. Mm-hmm. So back in Psalm 103, that psalm begins where later it's talking about the, the, the how far the east is from the west and mm-hmm. how far God's forgiven her. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Mm. And what struck me is it, it, it would almost seem that it's the abundance of God's mercy that makes it easy to forget his benefits. Mm. You think, no, 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 like we can take him for granted. He's so consistently merciful you can come to expect it. Mm. And so the psalmist is saying, hey, don't forget his benefits, kind of encouraging us in that direction. So the direction. act of praise almost necessitates a recounting of those blessings, of those mercies to us. Praise him for what? Well, that thing, and you have That's to bring exactly it to mind again. Right. Yeah. In fact, the lesson makes that point on, uh, actually quoting from Dr. La Rondelle on Friday's lesson, it says, not to praise God would mean to forget all his benefits, not to appreciate God's gifts. Only those who praise do not forget. To That's your great. Point there. That's great. And so then finally, I, I actually want to go back to Monday's lesson where it's looking at Psalm 51. And the point I've made in our outline is that it is our experiential realization of this measureless mercy 
that motivates our effective witness to others. Now, it's not just a cognitive realization, but mm-hmm. in our experience, when we experience this mercy of God, this is our motivating factor in witnessing. Mm-hmm. If you read verses uh, 13 and 14. Yeah, Psalm 51. Then mm-hmm. I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Del- well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. So he talks about when you restore the joy of my salvation, uh, when I am delivered from my blood guilt, my bloodshed or the, the blood guiltiness, that will evoke in me. Then I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. Mm-hmm. Then my tongue is going to sing aloud. Like that's an expression that is drawn out of the experience of receiving, experiencing God's mercy. Yeah. And that motivates our witness, which I think the lesson makes a great point on Friday, last paragraph, if you want to read it there. It says, the final aim of the psalmist's personal testimony and praise of God's mercy in his life is to reassure others of God's loving kindness so they too can open their hearts to God and receive his saving grace and praise God. So the goal of, you know, our Christian experience and God's wonderful mercy isn't that we can talk about it and we can bask in it ourselves, it's to be able to share it with others. That's the point the lesson makes. I think it's a fantastic point. In conclusion, Friday's lesson also brings up this quote from Christ's Object Lessons, page 148. It says, We have sinned against him and are undeserving of his favor. Yet he himself has put into our lips that most wonderful of pleas, Do not abhor us for thy name's sake. Do not disgrace the throne of thy glory. Remember, break not thy covenant with us. When we come to him confessing our unworthiness and sin, he has pledged himself to give heed to our cry. The honor of his throne is staked. For the fulfillment of his word unto us. Ooh, there's so much in that last sentence. We could have done this whole lesson on that, that statement. But that's th- that concept that God not only is merciful, he has staked his whole reputation, that's his exactly name, his right. honor on the fact that he's going to be exactly who he says he is. And it's on full display for the universe. Amen. Powerful stuff. Well, there's a lot to cover here, but we've come to the end of our time. So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your incredible mercy. Thank you for giving us the capacity to understand it and, the, and receive it. And Lord, help us to study it faithfully this week and share it with others in the Sabbath school class and outside of the Sabbath in the local church time. As we interact with other people, help us, Lord, to be agents and, and ambassadors of your mercy in the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.